Hello and welcome to RT Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick In this episode, we'll be meeting a great Donegal fiddle player, Danny Meehan. Born in Drumalost, County Donegal in 1940, Danny was fortunate in that he was surrounded by talented musicians, both at home through his grandmother and his parents and in the locality with people like Charlie McCall, Peter Quinn and Paddy McDyer. He moved to London when he was 16 and he quickly became immersed in the thriving traditional music scene there, meeting Bobby Casey, Julia Clifford, Jimmy Power, his bandmates in the group Lechela and so many more. He remained in London for 52 years until he retired back to Donegal where he now lives. This conversation was recorded in Danny's home place in Drimalost County, Donegal, and we were joined on the day by Danny's friend and another great fiddle player, Ronan Galvin. So, music first, and this is Danny Meehan with Paudino Rafferty. the story behind that tune? Oh, that was, that was, uh, many, many years ago, my sister and myself landed up in Mickey Doherty's house in Stranorla, and that was the year before he died, and I had a lovely tape recorder, and Mickey recorded a lot of tunes, and uh, that was one of his versions of Pagliano Rafferty. They had another version, but that was uh, the, the one that I preferred, and on my sister was moving house from Paris and she lost all the whole tapes. But all, all I could, he played the, the Japanese hornpipe as well and a few others, but that was, that was his favourite, Pagano Rafferty. He had another version too, but that was the, my favourite version, Pagano Rafferty. It's a very, very subtle little tune and it suited Mickey's bone, a lovely legato bone. But he died the year, the following year. But what an afternoon we had. He recorded about 60 tunes for me. But on the way back, my sister had them in a box. And they disappeared. Now that's a bit of tragedy. But, uh, he was a great character. And his wife put up a banquet for us. She went out and she bought an awful lot. It was a feast. There's a photograph of me and Mickey taken that day on Vincent Campbell's CD when I had all my own hair and my own teeth at the time. You, you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah. Myself and Mickey, what a lovely little man. And Vincent Campbell did say, you would have got as much music out of Mickey as you would have John. But a lot of the Dublin great players, friends of mine, the Glackens didn't agree with that. But Vincent insisted, over a night, you would have got as much music out of Mickey as you would have John. He had a different type of style of bowing. Later, m- 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 you know, John was very strident, strong player, and uh, semi-classical tone and all. But Mickey was a great, lovely character, I know. But uh, it was a great experience to meet him. That would be 1969, 1970. Yeah. Uh, Did you meet John, John as well? I met John when I was 12. 
I was met John. I was preaching in Drummerone was sick and I had to go out. You went to confession and then was days every weekend, you see. And I was heading down when Charlotte Street and my Uncle Don was across the road. He, my Uncle Don called me over. He pointed upstairs. John Dodd, he was playing on Master McHugh's house on the corner. And he's playing the Heather Hebrides, and I never had bowing like it in all my life. He said, Come on then, don't worry, everything's in control. So I was starting to learn the fiddle. This is a good story, and a true story. I was a bit 12, and I had two parts of Lord Gordon's, you know. And John came downstairs, and of course, underneath the table was all the poetry with the corpse, and half an egg under the table and John came down and, and John started playing. The only time I ever heard John play in the Grey Goose and he's never been recorded playing the Grey Goose and he played Colin the and a couple of other horn pipes and he was beautiful looking man. Then he had the comb over in, in those days but my uncle Dan said this book plays a tune. I could have killed him. I well said we'll have to hear him. So, handed me over this fiddle, and I was terrified. So, I stuck onto Lord Gordon to play the two parts. He said, you didn't pick an easy one. Stick to your fiddle, it's no burden to carry, young man. You can be a great builder, you can be a millionaire, you can be anything you want. These are John Doherty's words, 1952. But stick to your fiddle, it's not a burden to carry. You're doing fine, play your own way. So that was it. Started my introduction to John Doherty. So it was, was Lord Gordon's you played for him, wasn't it? Well, I played only two parts of it. <laughs> but he said you didn't pick an easy one. <laughs> so he understood that I was struggling a bit, like, but uh, oh, they were great memories, you know. I got to know John later on when I headed off to London and saying, you know, a lot of growing up to do. And, but I got to know him very, very well later on. He was a great character, a beautiful singer. John had the greatest second position in any fiddle player I've ever seen. Nobody could ever play Paddy's Rambles through the Brackley John the Hood, and I heard them all playing it. He had a special touch, and a great second position, better than Chrysler ever had. That was Chrysler's weak point, second position. Everybody was in the third because you got the ace thing to guide you. John, and his vibrato was unbelievable. Beautiful, slow vibrato. Yeah, he was a great man, and I, we had several got to know me. He started calling me Danny, like, and, and then my letter coming from showing off from London and all that crack. So, uh, and one one very late one very late night in in, in, in Carrick, we had a lot of whiskey, and I was drinking whiskey too. With John's favourite drink, of course. John wouldn't touch a pint for to save his life, but. We started talking three in the morning, so I approached him. I'm a great Coleman lover, as you know, like millions of other people. Well, he said, Coleman was a very good player. He was a very good fiddle player. So I, I went another. I thought I'd go another. Well, how would you describe? I thought he'd went to ten, but he's bowing and he's trebles and he's variations. No, no. Well, he said, Mr. Meehan, no Danny at all, just Mr. Meehan. You'd have to say that he's better than your ordinary country fiddle player. He turned his back and picked up his large whiskey and that was the end of the conversation. 
That's the truth. <laughs> I didn't pursue it any further. And what about Michael Coleman for you? Would would he uh, would you have heard those early recordings? Well, that was my brother Kevin came home and I was about ten or eleven, and he had an old gramophone. And I, know, I was just starting to recognise that. Of course, McCall was still alive, but he, he, he was in bad health. But he put on Michael Coleman playing from the velvet. And went out over the hill for a hilly turf. And that, that is bowing and trimmed the velvet and Lord MacDonald's reels have stayed with me all my life. It rang in my ears in London all them years. Recording straight and wax in them days. Michael Coleman was a great musician. Anybody else do that. Would you say there's a Coleman touch on your fiddle playing? <laughs> well, any man that ever drew a bow would be influenced by Coleman. And I mean that most sincerely. Mm. Uh, I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't help it. Although there was an older style in the Doherty's, there was an old, my cattle used to play in Padamidaya, and that was kind of disappeared. I just got the tail end of it, you know, but uh, I was hugely influenced by Coleman. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you're going to ask me to play Tuna Coleman? I'll play up for it, yeah. You have to be an easy one. <laughs> Similar one. Yeah. And when you when you listen to to Coleman and to Doherty now, how totally different. They're totally different. It shows you, it shows you, the majesty of thread music. It's unbelievable. It's such a wide church, such a broad church. You know, you. you I, I did ask Hughie Gillespie one stage when I got to know him. He said, "How come Coleman never recorded slow airs?" He said, the Yanni was a lovely slow air player ever you heard, but he said, America was full of classically trained slow air players, so co- the recording company didn't want them. But I make no mistake, it was a lovely slow air, but well, it was a shame he didn't record any, and he didn't, because he was educated enough to know that uh, all these college, university educated, doing all this stuff, the recording companies let them strictly alone. I bet he'd make I made that point that Gillespie said very nice, slow, lovely, slow air player, but never recorded in naturally like. But Doherty had a broader church of music. Forgive me for saying this, all you slaggy men. Doherty had a broader church of music than Coleman, and, and I only mean that generally speaking. I mean, you, t- you take the Bonnie Kate and Lord McDonald's and Lord Dr. Gilbert. Doherty didn't dwell too much in that type of. Oh, he had other things to do. He had other castles to build, musical castles, you know. 
So uh, oh, it was great. It was a great thing to be up on. But uh, I mean, I was lucky. There was a dark age in Irish music. When I left here in the middle fifties, it was a bit of a dark age. There was a few players, not great players, but there wasn't a general. And you hardly ever seen a woman playing the fiddle. No one knew respect to the. My mother was a great woman. And she was a female as well. And you were talking about the airs there, and you played earlier. You played a lovely air, the Napoleon air. Oh, I mean, for Napoleon. Yeah. Would Would you play that again? Yeah, and tell me the, the story or where where you, where it came from. Well, there was a word from it. One night, sudden weary, I went to my bed, and I dreamt of the far famed Napoleon. I haven't got the word, but that's the opening. You'll find it in some book or other. <laughs> yeah, it was a very famous. My father used to play it nicely. Two different versions of it there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Napoleon figured a lot, didn't he? Uh, Napoleon was very famous. Did you ever hear Napoleon's Grand March? You must have. This is a version my father and my Carl used to play. This is Napoleon's Grand March. Listeners to this uh, will be able to hear the, the noise of the short fire behind you. Tell me tell me where we are, tell me about the house we're in at the minute. This, this house was built by Sean Meehan nearly 200 years ago. It was uh, gold sent on from America to build it. And they made a great job of it. This is Drummer Lust, Meehan's, we all, we a big family. There was no wedding made. But my father made sure that everybody got a key to it. We've all got a key to this house. This is the old house now, 22nd of October, and I'm in my 82nd year. You grew up in this house then? Yeah, I had the measles in that bed there when I was seven. The bed beside the fireplace? That's where I had the measles, yeah. And how many of you were in, in the family? Uh, there was uh, 12, but my mother lost one. She died very young. And... Uh, yeah, but they weren't all at the one time. There was a big span, you know. Mm. 
my sisters and my brothers all, you know, there was a big, so it was a uh, loving mother, great mother. Died young, she died at 54 and hadn't a gray hair in her head. Mm -hmm. Nan Sheehan from D Dern. And she had music. Oh, very much. She used to play on the melodeon like. And, uh, she encouraged us all as well. Even when she had a headache, she wouldn't. <laughs> she still she said, keep, to keep playing. Like. Uh, and uh, where did the fiddle come from then? Where did you get the fiddle? Uh, well, there was a lot of great fiddle players around here. That man there, Charlie McHale, he influenced my father a lot. And some of his brothers went to America. And they've discovered an old fiddle of theirs in America. It's still an old fiddle. Now it was very, very it was the great Paddy McDyer, he influenced them all. Paddy was a little dynamo of a man. He died young as well. There, there was a lot of good players around here, you know, decent good players. The, Jimmy McGrote was a good player. He was a cousin of my father's. My, my grandmother was Susie McGrote. Jimmy was a stonemason, and Phil was a good fiddle player, Phil McGrote. And uh, Jimmy was a nice player too, and that was, uh, the fiddle was the thing, you know. And uh, it was, uh, I was discouraged from playing the melodeon at a young age. From playing the melodeon? Playing the melodeon, yeah. Why? I that thing down. I said, um, squeeze box, and then my father so and put me back in the fiddle again. And do you know who, where the first fiddle even came from? Do you know who? We, we, the first fiddle, we bought at Logan's auction. A wee black fiddle, it was hung up there for me. <laughs> At Logan's auction, which bought it a fiddle, and my father went out to the auction and he bought the fiddle. But he, you know, McCall had a fiddle too and all, but uh, he wasn't always, he was a great player, but he had suffered from cancer all his life, and there were treating him for ulcers and stuff. But he had the loveliest touch. My father reckoned he could take something out of the fiddle nobody could take out. Mm. And it was a great inspiration for me, you know. I used to come back fr from London, like, and I thought I was getting fairly good. And we're playing this jig. I said, uh, McCarroll made a great job with that one. Not how well I played it, but how well McCarroll played it, which was good. Mm. You know, but that was the, the great thing. This house was always full of musicians over the years. Like, you know, the, 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 the traveling fiddle players used to call in and stay the night. The, the McConnells stayed here. The John DeHardy's, John himself didn't stay here, mm. but the McConnells stayed here. Mm. I could tell you a little story, but. Uh, John, John Doherty, there was a great a fiddle player called John James Conan and Dern, and a great blacksmith and a great genius with his hands, you know. And John Doherty used to go down and visit him and get John was in the trade himself, you know, welding and stuff all over Ardera and Lenties and all. And of course, no man ever changed hands, you know. There was tea made, and if there was a bottle of porter, uh, John always played a complimentary tune for Conan. Giving him the stuff, for, for, no, no, no. So I said, Mr. Conan, I'm going to play you this tune now. I never played it for anybody before, and I played better for you than anyone. Fair enough, Conan said. No. John played it five or six times. Now, Mr. Conan, is what did you think of that? Well, I'm afraid John heard it before, and John's face fell a bit, and I heard it played better, and John's face fell even more. And Doherty said, who on earth would that be, Mr. Conan? A wee man could Alec McConnell, John's face lit up, it was his uncle. It was like switching a light back on again. Mm. <laughs> that's, the, that's a great, this is all Hedrick's family, you see. <laughs> yes. well, they're great stories, and that's lived for years and years. Mm. And I used to take Conan out for a drink back in New York. He used to tell me that story about Doherty, like, and who on earth would that be that played it better than 
Och Alec McConnell. They were great players. John Dehart, I heard it from his father, Sammy and the McConnells. And tell me about Paddy McDyer, he was a, he was a fiddle player. Ah, well. he was a good fellow all on his own, he was a dynamo of a man. He, he, he used to play in all steel strings and he used to tune the fiddle way above concert. Because, you know, he was, Paddy was fun, if you probably used to charge ten bob a night, you know. It was a lot of money in them days. To play? Uh, yeah. But my father used to go over to, to feed the cattle there, over from the school, a mile away, he could hear every note Paddy played. He could fill the hole. School on his own. He's a great, fantastic volume. There was a fantastic volume. Like. Jamesy Byrne had the secret to getting volume out. You have to take the full tone out, you know. The sweetness is important, but you have to give it the. I'll play a horn pipe to Jamesy Byrne. I don't know if he got it from John Mosey or who he got it off, but he said it took him ten years to get the tone of this tune. Jamesy Byrne. But what else? <laughs> well, you have the turn. Uh, <laughs> you have the turn. Uh, well, took him ten years to get the turn of that, James O'Byrne, yeah. Could be one of John Moses. Yeah. Your grandmother, she, she had music. Oh, too. she she knew John Moses McGinley. Well, she, she, was, she, was, she was born down in there, the, the, the stonemasons, down the road, about a mile down the road. And all John Moses McGinley come all around to sharpen their tools. And they, they, the, the, the stonemason's tools, you know, and they would spend a night there. My granny was there. She didn't get money till she was 26 or 27. <coughs> she had all the tunes. She did tunes to the grave with her. She used to sit in that chair there. And she used to say, Donald Bucked. She must have felt sorry for me. It's a very long, very long yarn. Donald Buck point to the room to go to bed. But uh, she was a great granny to have, you know. They were, they were natural people. You know, but she did take tunes to the grave with her. I know that. And John Moses and. Yeah. Well, did you did, did she play an instrument or did she? Did she no, she was a great singer. Little, a great singer. Now she didn't actually. A lot of the people couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's one thing about traditional music, Eva. It's. It's. I always knew at a young age it was great music, you know, from my very, very young age. She used to hear they played McCall when he was in good form. He could take the bird to the bushes. I was only six or seven. But then his health broke down. But I knew it was worth playing, you know. What makes a good traditional fiddle player? Uh, well, it wouldn't be... It would be about yourself. You have to be musical. You have to be a wee bit, how shall I say... Slightly different than the ordinary man in the, in the street, you know. You'd have to pursue your own, play your own way, you know, and play. And uh, it helped me in London over the years. It was something to do rather than go out 
you know, I used to sit indoors and play a little tune for myself. Ronan Galvin here um, did a piece on the Rolling Wave yeah. not long back about James. I, I heard it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it very much. Oh, he was a good. I, I, I play. I had the privilege of playing over his grave. Not a pleasure, but a privilege. You know, he was a. You knew him well. Ah, for God's sake. <laughs> Uh, and he would say, I sure I can play none at all. Yeah, he's so modest man, you know. His bow expression, nobody could bow a fiddle better than James Byrne. And his triplets weren't even neater than people's. That's hard to say that. He had the most beautiful triplet and very melodic player. And full of, he smiled when he played. He, he, would, he had a great uh, demeanour about playing. I got on well with him, very well with him. Yeah. When we did that piece, uh, we spoke about how, a bit like what you're talking about, how there was so much music when he was young and so many people playing the fiddle, and then later on that nobody was playing anymore and that he was going down to the hall and not playing. Do you remember a time like that? I, I do, kind of, but there were still important people playing it. My father was playing very well. It should have been recorded. My father should have been recorded. Even though it was a kid that we played left-handed. And Michael certainly should have been recorded. And I mean, sincerely mean that. And Cunningham. Conan recorded when he was very old, but I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it certainly should. There was a kind of a. How shall I say it? The the important people knew the value for it. The important people knew the, the melody. It wasn't generally as popular, like. Uh, but there was a kind of a dark age. Mm. You know, James would say that. But I mean, he, he didn't deter him from playing great fiddle playing. Mm. No, and didn't determine me. I went to London. There was a, there was a I went to London and met men like Casey, maybe Casey, Jimmy Power, and all the great Tony Martin, who used to make the fiddles for nothing. The great, no word about Tony Martin, who's a man that man that met Coleman in America. He, would, he used to rehear bows for nothing, fix your fiddle for nothing. He made me a couple of fiddles, and they were stolen. Tony Martin, 49 Gibson Square in Islington. They're important men. But I mean, the, the, the Renaissance, Aoife, the Renaissance of trad music started in London. With no disrespect now to Dublin or anything. The sessions, the Renaissance of the trad, the sessions started in the late 50s and 60s. Michael Gorman and Casey and Andy Boyle, Jimmy Dunleavy, and Reg Hall, the Englishman used to vamp everything. What, what year did you go to, to England or to London? Cause you well, went I, went, uh, I went up in the middle 50s. I went up to Selby in the middle 50s. Hmm. You know, I was only 16 and worked my way back. The year the bad snow ended up in 62, 63, snowed for four months. So I ended up in London. Best move ever made. Because I was good at the stonemason work and paving. So uh, there was a mile of work. So I uh, done well. But worked hard, and I went in to this little pub in Camden Town. Casey was in there first time I met him, and I bought him a pint, and bought him another pint, and he says, "Yeah, you've a great interest in the fiddle." Casey says, "Yeah, do you play?" I said, "I scratch out tune now and again." And he handed me the fiddle. The rest is history. <laughs> But I mean, it was a great time. Casey would always invite you up to play. Like Jimmy Powell, very important man. If the, the Sunday morning sessions, and the little small favorite in the early sixties on into the seventies, Jimmy Powell was a. It was starting to get known all over the world. 
Um, was it all pub sessions you did, or did you do? Oh, we did. We we, we went up. There. We we started doing concert. Then we got a wee bit like invited to do concerts here and there. You know, you'd have to be a wee bit tighter. You know, and then have less drink. Oh, yeah. we never let the drink get the better of it. It was nice to have a drink with it. You know, but uh, the great Robbie Burns said, "There's great joy in excess." Maggie, he didn't get it right today. <laughs> <laughs> Was that with the band Lechela? Oh, that was great. That was great. Tell, uh, tell me about that. An awful crack altogether. Who was in it? Ah, uh, there was Raymond Dolan, the great Galway man, P.J. Crotty, Kevin Boyle, John Rowe, the Englishman, Liam Farrell, the great Tyrone man, a great banjo player. And uh, I suppose I, was, I used to show off a lot, so they invited me on stage. I mean, I'm still showing off. They decided to make a record. There was my lorry broke down one Monday morning. This is a true story. Ended up in the Fulham Broadway and the King's Head in the Fulham Broadway, and they were all in there. What are you? You're not working. Well, I said, their lorries broke down. And they started playing, and you, this fellow came over. He said, "That's fantastic music. When did you consider making a record?" So he said to me, "Are you game?" Ronald said, "I'll go for that too." Liam Farrell. Liam was thinking now to brandish, and he's still going strong. That didn't make it. That was a fun. That was a fun record. One Saturday, we managed to do, this, do it. One Saturday afternoon, uh, mistakes or no mistakes, we got it done, and there's some good traction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially Raymond and Liam Farrell, some great tracks. The, the music in London, so so it must have been a right melting pot of, oh, of music absolutely. and styles and tunes. That was it. Everybody will tell you this, that London done a lot for the, 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 the renaissance of traditional Irish music. And there was people from all over coming to Jimmy Powers' sessions on a Sunday morning. The atmosphere was unbelievable. As I say, I was in my youth then, and Jimmy encouraged me to come up to play. I'd be working, I used to work Sundays as well, we'd make the few up, and I used to go into the public bar, Jimmy would be up rolling the fight. Danny Mahin plays next on the stage. And uh, you could play what you could, like, I mean, a couple of old reels, but that, the atmosphere was electric. Because, I mean, it's, it's a resurgence. You can imagine now what Coleman, Cologne and, and Morrison were in the 20s and 30s, and you can imagine the magic that was recorded then. But they, for some reason or other, everything changes, you see. It was sad to see the way music died, and there was a dark age. Myself and Paddy Glacken agreed on that. There was a good few players about Glacken, but generally speaking, you were backward if you were backward if you played that music. Even when I was growing up here, like, you know. Well, that was the, you know, the girls would, if you had Elvis Presley haircut and Elvis Presley suede shoes, you were all right. <laughs> Blue suede shoes, you know, I never had. <laughs> it sound like you loved London, did you? Oh, man. 53 years. And I, I was good at my job, not being funny, but I, I was good at the job I'd done because I was working for myself and I had an old lorry. And I, if, if I felt bad, I could start late and work late, you know. I love London. Well, I paved it three times, didn't I? And I was still over it. <laughs> You had your own paving business, is that what you did? Oh, the subcontracting, yeah. And they may want to take it and all that kick, and it was good. Yeah, well, they done all right. But Danny, you're, you're, back, in, you're back in Donegal now, you've moved back. 
Like you didn't you didn't decide to stay in in London after you retired. Well, I suppose I wouldn't be as physically fit now as I was then. Mm. You know, I just got too old for the piecework. You know, so I decided to bought a, a little cabin, with an acre of ground, and I called it the Tower of Bolton. <laughs> for better or worse, the first tune I ever learned was the Tower of Bolton. We Peter Quinn used to play it over here, like, and they played it in Day Lake. That's a fantastic tune. It's a Scottish tune. There's a little, there's a village in Scotland called Tower Bolton. You know, you know that, and yeah. You learned that from Peter Quinn. Aye, we Peter across the road. Tell me about Peter Quinn. Ah, he was a great fiddle fiddle player. He was a great little fiddle player. Should have been recorded too. He used to show me like a, you know, this knuckling. Don't do that. You have to cover the string with the top. A lot of fiddle player would do that, you see, and it's a muffled sound. You so need to keep the finger on the two strings. The thing on the two strings, oh. that was very, mm. very, yeah. What's, what's the effect? Pardon? What's the effect of it? Well, it's... That, that's, that's the... This is the... Yeah, it's beautiful rolls. The up bow was very important with Peter. Yeah. Like those people, like like Peter Quinn and, and those people, would they have taught you like that? Would they have taught you techniques? They'd come up, he'd come in here, he'd come from the beat. From, uh, he bought a new bag and a new overcoat. I was only about 12 or 13, maybe 14. And he'd have a new fiddle with him and he'd sit there and he'd play for my mother. He used to look, my mother used to go dressed, he'd turn to the dresser, washing dishes, and he'd look around to see if she was listening. And he was, it was beautiful. They were beautiful people. You know, they, they, they play apologetically sometimes even, you know, they, would, they wouldn't want to show off too much. <laughs> you know, I play apologetically, like, but uh, I could have learned a lot of them. Mm. You know, the, the value of the fiddle and the, the, the charm and the bass strings, he said, the, the bass, great charm and the bass strings, Quinn reckoned. Mm. And so there is in the fiddle. Mm. Uh. You, you can still see them in your mind's eye. Oh, can yeah, I can move in heavy. He used to sit there and he used to play like this, with the knee out like this, you see. <laughs> like, yeah. I love this music. That was the age of innocence. Like the orchard that grew in the woods, where the people liked seen it or not, they were lucky enough to see it, it was beautiful. And the flower that grew in the woods, you know, it was like Quinn and McCall. McCall could take something out of the fiddle in a second that no one could take out. Never was recorded. Seamus Ennis made a big mistake. He should have turned right at Menchalis and come out this road. He'd have got great music. Mightn't be as good as the Doherty's, or as technically good as Neely Boyle, but it'd be very musical. See, at the end of the day, it's about melody and music. And my father said, make it sound music and make it, don't worry about all this gymnastics. He was a great teacher, you know. Your father played the fiddle. Oh, I did. He was, but he was a kid though. Gave, mm. He hadn't proper purchase on his on his bowing. Like, oh, they were great. He was very encouraging. Mm. He put me off the melodeon. We had a melodeon here too, and he leave that down. Mm. See, there, there are no truck coming out of the factory. Mm. And he was right. So you're living back here in uh, in Lahey now. That's right. Do you like being home? Well, the, the little landlady and the seven arches looks after me awful well. <laughs> we Anna. Ah, of course I am. And I was always a loner anyway. I mean, I've got a son of 52 over there and two grandchildren. Yeah. You never married? 
Well, that's uh, it all depends what you call married now. We had a partner, she's passed away too. Yeah, uh, she's passed away. But uh, I suppose before I'll, I'll meet them all before I finally wind up. Ah, uh, it's a long story, you know. I was an awkward cost to live with anyway. You know, had my own, wh what do you call it? Direct line. And you've got more to me now than any woman ever has. <laughs> well, I can come and sit here and talk to you as well without it. There's one other person I want to talk to you about, uh, Tommy Peoples. Ah, there he is up there. He's up on, yeah, there's three three paintings up on the wall. There's, uh, that's right. tell me who they yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Tell me who the three musicians on the, on the wall are. Well, there's two good musicians there. <laughs> Tommy, John Doherty and Tommy Peoples. <laughs> it's a great meeting when I, I brought Peoples up to meet John Doherty. John Doherty was a guest. He was a guest when he met people. So we done for three days. He's a chattery boy. And he said, I can't understand that chattery boy. And then Doherty started playing on flats just to put manners on us. He started playing the low side hornpipe and flats and the high level and a couple of reels and flats. <laughs> Tried to put manners on people, but it didn't succeed. <laughs> didn't. It was one of the greatest weekends of all time. Went on for three days, and there was tea made about twenty times. All the local shops were sold out of tea and <laughs> buns and cheese and <laughs> <laughs> to keep you going. Ah, it was a great weekend. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure for me to meet the two of them. <laughs> did they get on in the end, Tommy and? Ah, oh, they did. Sure, the music was tremendous. Mm -hmm. They lifted each other, you know. Mm -hmm. They bounced up each other. Tommy, Tommy wrote some great tunes, isn't oh, he? Oh, he did. Yeah, he's a great composer. I mean, you could see it in his whole body, like. Ife, mm. tradition music consumed Tommy's people, it consumed them, mm. body and soul. He died a young man over it. You know, the, 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 the genius does that to you, it eats you up. You know. Did you ever write a tune? I struggled through one or two, like, would have helped me. Same with that. <laughs> they won't get an airing now, no? No, well, <laughs> I think they've been aired enough, haven't they? I, I had a version of the Irish washerwoman, everybody likes it. Yeah. McCall's version of the Irish washerwoman. Before we went to America. Uh, there was a, a couple of other a couple of other things that I, Tara Conan recorded. I put it together. And there was another funny one in all. Good and I'll, I'll play this one now. It might be full of mistakes, but what else? See who it is, is it? Leave it up in the air. <laughs> yeah. um, people might have noticed that Ronan Galvin is in the corner here on the chair. <laughs> you, you might play one <coughs> together to finish, Ronan. 
Will you concentrate an octave? Okay, Danny. Will you join us? No, I can't record and play at the same time. This is one of James's favourite tunes, Coffee. Carls, Heathery Jock. Heathery Jock. Heathery Jock. Heather Jock. That old man there made a great job. Is that in your memory now since since you were small or? Ah, it is indeed, yeah. When I had the measles there, I was seven. And he came in and sat on the end of the table. Uh, I do remember Heather Jock. But it all comes back. I, I was very astute when I was seven, you know, even though I had the measles. And he'd come in and sit on the end of the table there. But when I get a mug of strong tea, my mother, God rest her, she was very good to him. He was suffering cancer all his life. And he'd play Heathery Jock. And that's what he called it. And what did your father say about McCarroll? He said he could take something to the fiddle that none of them could take out. When he heard, was it Maguire playing the same tune? Oh, that's a true story. And I'm Maguire. We all know how good Maguire is. And this is a fact now. I've been out in Ganganis, like come home with all my own hair and my own teeth in ten days sterling. Took my father out to hear Maguire. He said he's mighty play, that's mighty playing. I says, Isn't that one of McCall's reels? He said, it is, but he didn't call it the dairy made, he called it Taste the Greens. He said that was the old name before the the, the Sligo man called it the, the, the well, I said, no, he didn't play it as good as that. No, he didn't. But he said he played it nicer. I took me, he said, he play, McCall played it nicer. Mm. That took me a long time to know what he meant. Years, like, I, he didn't play it as good as Maguire, but he played it nicer. You can digest that, and that's a true story. Whatever he meant be nicer, you know. What do you think he meant now? I still don't know, but I didn't play this. Maguire made a great job, and he, McCall played it, tasted the greens, he said McCall played it nicer. And that's the, the magic of night tried music, isn't it? Mm. You know. Would you play us one for the, one for the road, Danny? Do you want to do the washerwoman? Oh, the washerwoman, sure, that's sick, listen to me playing the washerwoman. I'll, I'll play it if you want, yeah. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full versions of the tunes, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the Rolling Wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 31st of October 2021. Till the next time, Gurumila Mahagi Agaslan.